Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You know, for centuries, the ultra-wealthy have been putting their money where their mouths are, by investing in fine wine. And now, with Vint, you can do that too. At Vint, we offer SEC-qualified investment opportunities of fine wine and spirits curated by our experts with portfolio managers. With Vint, you can invest and diversify into the most sought-after assets that have a history of price appreciation. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Welcome to another edition of Around the Coin, the premier podcast for all things banking, payments, and fintech. Here are your hosts, Mike Townsend, Brian Romley, and Faisal Khan. Hello, and welcome to Around the Coin. My name is Faisal Khan, and I am your host for this show. In July, Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin shared some choice of words for centralized cryptocurrency exchanges, hoping they, quote-unquote, burn in hell. These exchanges are some of the most powerful players in the digital currency market, acting as middlemen between buyers and sellers. However, according to JP Morgan, one-third of centralized crypto exchanges have been subject to hacks. Over the past year, decentralized exchanges that don't hold custody of funds and allow buyers and sellers to directly exchange tokens have been growing in popularity, gaining attention across the industry segment. Now imagine a decentralized trading platform for ERC-20 compliant tokens that runs on the 0x protocol. Users are able to trade tokens wallet to wallet with other traders via the Ethereum blockchain without giving custody of tokens to an exchange or smart contract. This improves both the speed, security, and safety of peer-to-peer trading compared to the centralized exchange. One such startup is doing exactly that, changing the world one user at a time in a decentralized manner. The company is called Radar Relay, and I had the good fortune to interview the CEO, Alan Curtis. So, Alan, thank you for joining. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for the invite. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So for those of you who don't know, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, how did you get started, and then we'll ask you how you started Radar Relay. Sure. Yeah, sounds good. Do you want the the short version or the long version? Well, we can have either way. Let's have the medium version. Okay, you got it. Um, So Alan Curtis, currently CEO of of Radar, but previously, and and maybe more interesting to the audience, is how I got got into this market, how I got into crypto and studying economics in undergrad, I was really excited about solving some of these issues around economic insecurity and, and why, was, why was cash in, in all different countries so volatile and, um, and what can we do about it? So I started studying, and of course, like many of you, found Bitcoin, found my way in, down this rabbit hole. But before I had the opportunity, you know, I had the self-efficacy to go start a company to, to try to solve these, I needed to go learn. So I found my way to a technology incubator where I was the program director for three years, helping companies raise money, solve problems, build their teams, get to market. I had so much fun and it was a lot of pattern recognition. And finally, 
when I had the, the self-efficacy to get after it myself, I left and I started Radar in August of 2017. So, okay, for those of you, uh, including myself, who, don't, who didn't have a clue what Radar did until I, you know, read about it, tell us exactly in layman terms exactly what you're all about. What is a problem? You, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Sure. That, that tells me that we need more marketing. <laughs> um, we need to get the word out. So, yeah. So, you know, I think the, the first thing that people do is, is they confuse our brand with our product. So like many large tech companies who are trying to build multi-generational enduring companies, we have a series of products, but we also have our parent brand. And I think it's, it's worthwhile actually to start with the parent brand talk about some of those problems inherent in our vision statement and our mission before we dive into our first product, Radar Relay. So as, as I mentioned, this, this vision, the, the why behind what gets us out of bed and, and what we're working on, it's related to this idea that talent is evenly distributed around the globe, but opportunity is not. And that is not okay. That is a, that is a, a wicked hard problem to solve. It's, it's probably the hardest problem to solve, but um, it's what the company was built around. It's, it's part of our DNA. And that manifests itself in our mission, right? So we took that, that audacious problem statement and we focused it. You know, how, how can we use, um, how can we use this, this wild and crazy blockchain technology to help solve that problem? And that became our mission, onboarding the world to the token economy. And when we think about onboarding, it's pretty easy. It's just a soft landing. It's, it's how do we get people started? And then the world, right? That's everybody. That's you, me, you, the audience, our, our family, friends that don't care about technology. It's everybody. And then last is the token economy. And then I think that's really the head scratcher here. And, and I'm sure we're going to talk quite a bit about that throughout the podcast. But for us, the token economy uh, is, is kind of simple. It's, it's, it's the intersection of two systems. It's the, it's the collision of those two systems. The first one, the the token system, there's all different kinds of tokens, like securities and collectibles and currencies and, and utilities. And if you believe, like we do, that anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized, then you need the second system, which is the exchange system. An exchange is either peer-to-peer -peer or there's intermediaries for a mediated experience. It's the collision of those two systems that we're really excited about building the pipes for. And we did that. We did that with our first product, Radar Relay, which is a, you can think of it, like a bulletin board, similar to how you use Craigslist to buy and sell your couch to a different peer. And maybe you go and you meet that peer in some random Walmart parking lot. It's very similar to our first product, Radar Relay. It, just like Craigslist, your peers are, are buying and selling tokens instead of a couch. And instead of a Walmart parking lot, they're meeting on the Ethereum blockchain. And so we've, we've you know, ripped a page from our own, our own playbook here, our, our mission, We've created this first product, but it's really the first step of many, and there's a lot to come. So I'll, I'll pause there because that was a, a fire hydrant of, of information. So is it like it, you've made a decentralized marketplace and not use the word exchange? Yeah, good, good clarifying question. So, you know, again, worthwhile to, to zoom out and, and talk about the language because in an industry and in a market that is so focused on specificity and technical accuracy, we, we need to take the same microscope to the language we're using. So if you rewind the clock a few crypto years back to um, the earliest of the Bitcoin exchanges, things like Mt. Gox um, started to come online. You know, these, these exchanges right, where you deposited your funds to the exchange, lost custody, you paid, paid to deposit, paid to trade, paid to withdraw, 
They were very important. Without those, maybe the, the crypto industry would have never never taken off. We needed but they're somebody. No different to- than, but they're no different than the traditional uh, fiat exchanges or any other security exchange. The exchange uh, phenomenon has not changed in over, let's say, six, seven hundred years since you've come up there. It's the same thing. You have to deposit your tokens or your money or your value, if you will, in order for it to be uh, traded over there. Yeah, it's... it's um- you're right from an ethos perspective, but the technical details are a little different. So very often uh, with you know traditional stock exchanges, you have an asset manager or you have some sort of clearinghouse or some registrar that actually holds on to your money or, or a bank right that holds on to your money. And and the, the what is being traded is an IOU right. It's a slip of paper. It's a code. It's uh, some binary. Uh, data points. Yeah, see, that's that's still a proxy, right? But I mean, at the end of the day, it is a centralized system, even though they are part and parcel of it. One hundred percent. No, you absolutely. And so, the what's what makes crypto both exciting and scary is the fact that these centralized exchanges and crypto that have come online uh, hold on to your value and execute the trades, and so that opens them up for these brutal, tragic hacks. And we've seen. You know, I think two billion, maybe a little over two billion dollars worth of, of digital assets being being hacked and stolen just in the last few years. And to your point, it's because we've taken um, what was once a, a, a value chain with multiple participants with multiple security checks, and we've condensed those into one one monolithic exchange that not only holds your value but executes the trade. And that looks a hell of a lot like a target for bad actors. So how, how is that different from uh, what is now known as the DEX phenomena, the decentralized exchanges that are coming up? Are you a variant of the DEX exchanges or are you something beyond that? Yeah, so, so you know, the centralized exchanges that came online, very important. We, we wouldn't have got to where we are without them. And many of those founders, those CEOs, they wanted to build peer-to-peer exchanges, but the technology just wasn't there. And finally, with Ethereum and the advent of, of smart contracts as escrow services, we were finally able to start moving closer to this peer-to-peer economy that we all care so deeply about. So you saw things like Ether Delta. And Ether Delta, 2016, it was a one-man band. Um, every time I have an opportunity, I, I, I give a shout out to Zach, the one, one man who built that thing. But they're using a smart contract. So instead of depositing to an exchange and, and um, them holding on to it, you could technically withdraw on your own accord using that smart contract. And that was a huge step forward. But it wasn't, it wasn't fast. It wasn't easy. You know, it, it didn't have integration avenues for other decentralized applications to tap into their liquidity. It was a, a pretty long litany of issues, but a great step in, in the right direction. And since then, right, so when Ether Delta broke that four-minute mile, if you will, a whole series of, of folks like you, you have things like Kyber and Bancor and AirSwap and um, Omise Go and, and all these different exciting projects that are really, you know, uh, AB testing or ABCD testing implementations, they're very similar to Ether Delta in that you're depositing into a smart contract, you're losing custody. And so we were sitting on the sidelines, right? We were using those venues. I was trying out all of them. Our team was trying out all of them. And we were wondering, what's our first product going to be, right? If, if we have this, this audacious vision, well, we should probably start building. So what can we do? So we started thinking about how do we, how do we start from, you know, start with the end in mind or, or, and work backwards start from first principles. And so if we really want peer-to-peer trading, or in this case, 
wallet to wallet trading, what do we need to do? And so we started thinking about building a protocol from scratch. And we were so fortunate to run into, to meet the Zero X team. We met Will Warren and Amir right before their token sale. And, and it was, you know, it was love at first white paper. We, we loved their team. We loved the vision. Um, and, you know, now a year later, so we're, very we're so quickly, glad. Very quickly, if you can explain what the Zero X is, because my, most of the users may not know about the Zero X team. Yeah, thank you. And, and when I use... When I use jargon, please, yeah, please interrupt because um, uh, I, I have a habit of doing that. So, yeah, really, re- really quickly. So, and then we'll, we'll get back to sort of radar's category. But, anyways, um, zero X. Think of it as two pieces. The first is messaging, and the second is the pipes or the transmission layer. So, with with the zero X protocol, you you dictate your order parameter. So, how many tokens do I want to buy? What expiry period? Um, you know, how much do I want to sell them for? And that order is, is that order is turned into a packet. It's signed cryptographically and it's sent through the second part of the system, which is the pipes. And those pipes are smart contracts. And in, in the first version of zero X, they created four. And as the protocol grows, I expect that those will be replaced um, or, you know, some will be retired and new pipes will be created. But at the end of the day, it's really a interoperability standard. So data um, specifically, you know, order data can be shared, can be routed uh, between venues like Radar, uh, Relay, and, and traders, and between peers. So that, that's a quick th- questions on on zero X. And and this is not just value we are talking. We can, t- I mean, uh, I mean, sure, you're starting out with tokens, but you could be anything. Could be like the European directives are now saying, you know, let's start with data. You get to choose well, how you how your personal data is shared and who you share it with it could be your and like you said anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized let's start with the driver's license you know do i really need to give out all my information to this black box and i'm not even knowing what's happening with it so maybe you can amplify on such examples yeah well said and i couldn't agree more so this idea that land attention value time <laughs> data it's not it's not my job. It's, and I'm not creative enough to think about all the wild and crazy things that will be tokenized. But my business, I want to enable that. Um, I want to build the pipes. I want to build the rails. I want to build the infrastructure, the scaffolding to let all you crazy, creative audience members who are listening to this go and tokenize something and build something. I just want to help you move it. And so, you know, I, you know oftentimes on our, our Friday night whiteboarding sessions internally at Radar, we, we pontificate on how could you tokenize time? or land, or, you know, this cash flow off of this real estate investment. And the cool thing is we're already starting to see a lot of those early stage projects come to fruition. And of course, they they come and knock on our door because they're wondering, hey, if we build this, can Radar be involved in, in helping to trade? And so that's that's why the Zero X protocol was, was so relevant to us and it, because it's a long bet. You're taking a directional bet that interoperability and standardization will unite all these different crazy offerings that will come to market. Well, I think it's, you know, uh, suffice to say the philosophical argument stems from the fact that, you know, when the middleman is removed, the possibilities are just endless. And we have been bought up, let's say, in the last couple of hundred years, where, you know, because banking itself is only a couple of hundred years old and we work all our life for money, et cetera. And we, and we think about how 
life changes by the removal of the middleman, then you can juxtapose those examples onto other areas. Okay, what happens if you remove the the DMV? What happens if the passport is not centralized? What happens if my medical records are not centralized? What happens with my social security number? So we're taking back the ownership of, of, of information, if you will, back sort of turning the clock back, if you will. Um, and all these examples, you know, stem from the original Satoshi Nakamoto paper or perhaps even before. But there is a question that comes to mind is, how do you know you are right? That's one question. I mean, why why you? Why not uh, Macy Go? Why not Neo? Why not the other platforms? And two, how do you ensure interoperability between these platforms? Because each one of them will be absolutely necessary. You, you cannot operate in you know, segregated silos. You will have to talk to each other. How do you make sure that goes on on a protocol slash standard level uh, internationally? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, and remind me, so I think by the time I answer the first one, I'll forget the second one is. So just hold, hold on to those for, for just a moment. So I, I think it's, you know, I, I want to go back and close the loop on the, the first question that, that you had asked there, which was around, you know, what, what is this new category? And so we talked about centralized exchanges, and then we explored briefly these smart contract exchanges like EtherDelta. And then, you know, right, right, we're on the sidelines, we're watching, we're paying attention, we're thinking, okay, how do we build, how do we build a protocol? And then we met the ZeroX team, fell in love with, with, with what they designed. We decided, instead of designing something from scratch, right, to your point, instead of building another protocol, right, another silo, let's build on top. Let's build on top of the standard and, and put some skin in the game, like take some risk and, and show, hey, you know, we, we have um, the pragmatism to, to not build something new. Um, and so we, we did that and we ushered in the first of, the, of a new category, which is a relayer. And we are thinking really hard and talking to the ZeroX team about what do we call this venue that is tapping into these implicit networks that humanity has of peer-to-peer, or in this case, wallet to wallet. Like, what do we call this thing? It's moving orders back and forth. And we we had all these different ideas of of what to call it. um, And we landed on Relayer. And so, of course, um, it sounds nice from an alliteration perspective, Radar Relay. um, But the Relay, it's this this category. It, It has to be defined and it has to be evangelized and it has to grow because it is so new. And, you know, when, when you think about category creation and category design, first, you have to define the problem. Like, like you know, we, um, well, you asked questions about already and we'll talk a little bit more. Then you have to create the vocabulary, like the word relay, like networked liquidity and wallet to wallet trading. And, and all these concepts have to be defined. And then you have to communicate those to your audience, right? You have to educate. You have to be a steward. And then when you've done that, when you've created the category and educated your community, all of a sudden, you're a category king. And you own that category. You can set the price point. You can build on top of that. You can launch adjacent products and and your community comes with you. So to your question of why you, right? Why not all these other projects? I don't don't think of it as binary like that, right? And that radar will succeed and all these others um, will fail. I think the, the market size that we're talking about here, how large the token economy is going to get has room for everybody at that table. And our core competency is just building the pipes, right? And, and, I think companies like uh, Omise Go or, or um, you know, so Kyber or Bancor, they have these these sort of incredible business plans and incredible growth strategies that are very different, very different. It, you know, if you if you look at them over the next few decades than we do, and so our f- core competency will always be creating soft landings, 
creating onboarding, creating infrastructure for this token economy. And then um, to your second question, uh, which is, is how do you mandate interoperability in, in an era of payment systems where how many payment systems do we have in the world today? Thousands, two oh, thousand. Well, I, I actually know the answer to that because I actually have done that. So there, are, if you look at uh, banking itself completely as one system, there are about nineteen hundred payment systems in the world today, uh, give or take maybe plus minus sixty seventy. But if you were to ask the beautiful question of how many of them are connected, connected and talking to each other, if you talk about one hop or less, one hop or direct. Uh, less than 1% of them are connected. If you're talking two hops or less, then less than 3% are connected. So the, of the 1,900 payment systems in the world, less than 3% are connected. And that is purely because we do not have an international standard for interoperability. We do not have the TCP IP equivalent, if you will. Yes, thank you for the data points. That's actually terrific to know. I've been saying two thousand, three thousand for for months now, um, and as I, you know, I'm not sure how you calculated that. We can we can chat about it um, after after the show. I'm sure that was pretty arduous. But um, anyways, that is that is a really hard uh, truth, right? So so people in blockchain they they land and they parachute in into the crypto sphere and they think, hey, it's time to reinvent the wheel, and they ignore they ignore some of these great historical lessons about. Uh, how value flows and, and legacy infrastructure. So we're, we're really focused on not ignoring that and acting very practically. And so, you know, if, if you look at our first product today, that's, it's a, a little, a little under one year old, we've, we have users from over 150 countries to date, uh, which, which on one hand is, is wild and exciting. And, and we're so uh, humbled and, and also scared of, of the support needs but on the other hand, we're, we're just getting started. And so I think what we have an opportunity to do is as these new distributed decentralized applications come online and they create, you know, incredible user experiences, remarkable uh, value, and it forces people to switch over. It's, it's in this new token economy. Do we have an opportunity to enforce interoperability and standardization? So if you look at things like CryptoKitties, right, which was sort of the, one of the first breakout uh, Dapps to come online. You think about radar, some of these other high traffic. Da- we are all focused, laser focused on interoperability. We're all focused on using the same open source uh, repos, and, and so I think you see an ethos right now in this space of of not driving high levels of technical debt and building silos because we already learned that lesson. We already we're already there now, and it sucks and it's painful. And so my hope is is that um, you know thanks to the work like yours and and, and the messaging that we do. We won't get caught in, in systems not talking to each other. But you're not, you're not building a system per se, are you? Or, or, so maybe in layman terms, are you saying that you work on an existing OS like Ethereum and the others? Or are you saying, no, I have a separate OS, but I have connectors that will talk to all the other OSs? Good question. So, if, um, so the, we are building on top of Ethereum. So when we launched our first product, right, we... Again, being pragmatic, trying to figure out what the heck do we build on? There wasn't that much available, right? There was 0x as a protocol that we could use. And then there was Ethereum as a blockchain. And so we built with what we could, when we could. And those were the, the best tools in the toolbox. It also gives you but a ready you market, into, right? Yes, sir. Yes. And if you look into the, you know, look into your crystal ball and, and you look maybe a few years out, you are going to see a series of different blockchains coming online, focused on different use cases. Some things 
you know, will be super fast, like Solana, high transactions per second. Some will be highly permissioned, like EOS, and that'll make sense for security tokens. Uh, some, like you know, Ethereum, will be a compromise and have a little a, a little bit of, of everything, and and maybe that'll be the the first place people start before they they venture forth and try to colonize and settle. So, so here's blockchains. another number for you, because people always assume payments as one. There are four hundred plus different types of payments that you can do. So you can't possibly have one protocol uh, that will do all 400 different types of payments. You know, credit card payments are different from debit cards, are different from cash over counter, are different from mobile to mobile, are different from letter of credit, are different from Nostro Vostro, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's even further validation of this idea that there will be many chains. And, and already you're starting to see teams trying to explore how to build those middle layers with all the integration points of contact. So we're very excited about protocols like Interledger and some of the work that's going on in Lightning and some of these layer two solutions. But to your point, we're so early, right? We only have a handful of working blockchains where in a few years from now, we might have hundreds or, or you know, to your point, even thousands. And it's businesses like mine that need to build relationships with users. We need to handle that last mile, that that last mile, that's with us. But under the hood, our users don't really care. As long as it works and as long as they have a frictionless way to explore this token economy and be onboarded, and it, it, you know, for their perspective, it doesn't really matter. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, your, let's say, the low-hanging product that you built on your, uh, the Ethereum thing is the wallet, right? And, that, and you're saying that any ERC-20 token can be pushed into this wallet and then it can be traded with any other ERC twenty token uh, that has uh, that's using the radar relay wallet, if you will, without compromising or you know giving your tokens and assigning it to an exchange, etc. Correct? You're you're very close, and I and I think it's um, it's helpful to maybe talk about the the value chain or like how users show up on radar and like where we fit in the ecosystem, especially for maybe some of your listeners who are just dipping their toe in crypto. And, yeah, because obviously uh, you, you deal with this thing day in and day out. So you're very acclam- much acclimatized to the idea, but from a third party and an outsider, you know, I'm just trying to get a hang of it. And I'm sure others are also trying to get a hang of it. What exactly are we looking at here? You know? Yeah. So where do we fit? Yeah. Good, good place to, to jump in. So if, if you've, uh, if you have a bunch of fiat and you want to get some exposure to crypto, you want you want to buy in, you're going to go to one of these exchanges, depending on where you live globally, that has relationships with banks. And these are the centralized exchanges. So if you're in the U.S., you might use Gemini or um, you know Circle or, or Coinbase, and, and you're going to go there. You're going to create an account. You're going to upload a picture of your license, your passport. Um, you're going to take a selfie. You're going to give them your social. You're going to uh, you know create an account and it's an arduous process, but it's a very safe and secure process. And eventually going to connect your bank account. You're going to wire in, you're going to ACH in um, some cash and you're going to use that to buy crypto. And you're very much in their closed Petri dish, their closed ecosystem engaging there. Many of these exchanges only have a, a limited inventory, right? So they'll have, you know, Coinbase has one, two, three, Coinbase has five or six, um, you know, tokens on there, right? Some of these other big exchanges will maybe have in the upper 20s. There's just a few that, that have a wide selection. And so if, if you want to access that wider selection, or if you want to go and you want to use some of these decentralized applications that are starting to come to market, things like the prediction markets at Augur, or maybe CryptoKitties, um, 
you're going to need to move out of that ecosystem. And when you do that, the best vehicle to move out of the ecosystem is a wallet. And there are things like hardware wallets, like Ledger you may have heard of, or Trezor is another company. These are physical devices that you buy, right? they ship them to you, and those store your private keys, stores your access to those funds. And then you can, you can get off that exchange and you can go and venture forth and into this wild and beautiful Web3 web ecosystem. And one of, those, one of those venues, one of those stops on your journey might be Radar Relay. And you can think of us like a bulletin board. Again, very similar to Craigslist and where you can take the tokens that you have in your wallet and you can submit an order or you can, you can buy or sell to take any of the other 175 tokens that are on Radar so, I mean, so submit an order and, would be just basically pinning it on the board and saying, hey, listen, I have uh, coins to exchange or sell, buy, et cetera, and anyone else who's interested can then contact you and do so. You nailed it. And, and instead of contacting, they're actually just immediately executing that order. So, you, so you'd show up and right, you'd, pit, you'd, you'd submit an order intent, and we've made the UI look a lot like a normal exchange. So people are comfortable and it's not, there's not too much cognitive load in the experience they, they feel at home. So yeah, so you would create an order and it would just it hop right on the bulletin board or in this case on our order book. And it would sit there and it would sit there and it would sit there until somebody says, hey, I want that. I want to take that couch home with me. That would look great in the living room, right? So they're going to select that and it's immediately going to settle, right? Once they select that on the Ethereum blockchain. And so there's never a deposit. There's never a withdrawal. You don't know who that person is. They don't know who you are. Um, and it, in the atomically, so in, at one moment in time, immediately, the tokens move from your wallet to their wallet. Um, you call it a day. How, how has this been designed keeping in regulators and regulation in mind? Is it is anonymity guaranteed here? Or is there provisions for it to be compliant with all the KYC and KYB that happens in the traditional uh, regular fiat world that's happening, uh, you know, for payments and for onboarding new clients? Sure. So back in August of 2017, when, when we started thinking about you know, launching Radar Relay, everything came to a grinding halt. And my engineers, you know, said, what the heck? Oh, we wanted to release this. And, um, you know, the business guys in our team were so excited. And I said, guys, we have to go and get to the bottom of the regulatory. Uh, we understand case law. We need to understand no action letters and opinions. And, and where, where are we launching, right? And, and uh, what, what does our jurisdiction mean for us versus, a, you know, a, a jurisdiction in Russia and China and um so everything, so everything came to a halt and I spent a month. I, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time talking to attorneys and, and trying to understand FinCEN and SEC and CFTC and IRS and, and pretty much any acronym um, that's relevant to crypto I, I, I got up to speed on. And the reality is we don't, we're not an exchange. We don't meet the legal definitions of, of what an exchange is. We're not handling securities, nor are we taking custody or transmitting funds. And we're, we fit very squarely within the world of a software business, specifically a bulletin board. There is there is this, um, how shall I say it, a sensitive gray area where the process, I mean, there is a case, and I, but I don't want to mention the case, but there is a case where, you know, ex exactly a company said, and, you know, we don't touch the money. We don't handle the funds. We are not a money transmitter, speaking from a U.S. perspective. But then the prosecutor said to the attorney general, did you know that without this company, this transaction could not have happened? Did you know that without this company, 
uh, these two parties could never have met. And did you know that this company knew that any two parties that do business on my on this network to meet up could be doing it for nefarious purposes or for legal purposes? They don't know. So does that? So you know, so it, it, I've seen a lot of arguments that say that you know we are not that. But when it comes to the prosecutor and the court, etc., the benefit of the doubt would be given to them rather than to you. How do you look at that problem? Yeah. So first of all, I think I know which case you're referring to, or, or something very similar. And you know, there's a lot of work went into this. A lot of work. You know, we had a lot of late night debates with our team and uh, a lot of sessions with our attorneys trying to understand. Uh, where we fit. And so, first of all, we are, to the best of our ability, to the utmost uh, integrity, following all the rules, regulations for onboarding tokens and, and you know messaging to our users what we are and what we're not. Right? We've collected legal memos for all the positions that we're taking. We're actually working and talking to entities like Coin Center and many of the other different lobbying groups and, and um, think tanks in the crypto space to, to ascertain whether our hypothesis of being a bulletin board makes sense. And it holds up. And so, you know, I, I personally um, am of the um, of the mindset that uh, regulatory arbitrage is naive and short sighted, and and that we are here to protect investors. And like at the end of the day, you know, if, when you think about regulation, you have to think about their missions. And is radar inherently aligned with their missions? And absolutely, right. We want to onboard the world, and we want to do it. In a, in a compliant way, we want to do it in a way that protects investors, right? By holding on to your own funds is a massive step in that direction. No longer can you be hacked and no longer are you exposed to the dangerous practices of centralized exchanges. And then to, to your point of, right, there have been cases where, uh, you know, nefarious activity has, uh, you know, has popped up. And because we don't have relationships with our users and, and we're, I'm not on the phone with them asking, hey, what are you using radar for? I don't have that data. However, you know, if, if, if regulatory agencies um, felt that, you know, we, we, we needed to be regulated as one of these venues, we'll be the first in line to have that conversation and sh- sh- sit shoulder to shoulder with them and figure it out. Um, but right now, you know, it's, we have a pretty clear, um, you know, operating field in front of us as a software. So business. as a matching engine or what have you, you don't have any visibility as to what is being traded and matched and settled. We don't have a matching engine. So, you know, that further defines well, I mean, uh, maybe a, our point. a crude way of saying it. But, you know, I want to sell, you want to buy, and, you know, we connect and we are connecting. Are we not going through you or are we going direct wallet to wallet? Yeah, you're, you're, you're just going peer to peer, right? So, so you and that person, so where, where you guys trade, if you guys met on, if you met on uh, Reddit or if you met on uh, some other online forum, it'd be the same deal, right? You'd send the same order data and you could do that trade anywhere. You could do it in a parking lot, you could do it online. So we're just one of the many venues where peers can meet each other and trade directly. So, you know, th- we're not like the sole place that that would happen and nor do I want to be, right? Because in this global world, there's going to be hundreds of venues of places to trade. And so, you know, we don't think of ourselves as, as facilitating or matching, um, you know, very similar to, to Craigslist in that respect. Two challenges that come to mind that you faced that you have yet or overcome or have yet to overcome? Oh, man. How much uh, time do you just, have? Let's go, let's go for the summarized <laughs> version. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, there's there's basic table stakes challenges that any startup has, right, around scaling and people and funding. So, like, like that is all it's just table stakes. And, and I, don't, I don't discount any of those challenges. Those are all hard. And then secondly, um, we have th- this 
sort of regular, right? The regulatory questions that you just described. And then, and then third, we have this whole other set of challenges around onboarding people to this new category. So we have to educate users, retail users, automated traders, token issuers, and that is a lot of marketing. It's a lot of education. And so I think the, um, you know, if I had to boil it down to like, what are the, the two biggest ones? I think the first has been explaining to automated traders where we fit, right? They're so used to super high frequency trading and rebates. Um, so that, that's been, that's certainly a challenge. And then second um, has been uh, around this category explanation to retail users, because we have users from over 150 countries and every country views trading in a, in a little bit of a nuanced way. They discover us from a different channel. They have support needs in the specific language where they live. Um, they, they need to be marketed to in a certain sense. And so I'll, I'll call that second issue. I'll just, I'll bundle that up and call it, um, you know, maybe cultural sort of cultural sensitive uh, marketing, right? Understanding how to appeal to different jurisdictions. So yeah, those are those are two, and, and I'll I'll cut it short, or else you'll have me so all. You afternoon. have 150 countries where your users are coming from. How difficult is it to manage this global community? Uh, and it, it uh, you know, uh, is that where the majority of the traffic is coming from outside the United States, or is it uh, you know the 150 countries combined are equal to perhaps or less than the traffic in the U.S.? Yeah, so the United States actually makes up less than a third of our users. So we are a very global business. And, um, you know, Asian countries certainly are popular. Uh, South American countries certainly are popular. Then we have these sort of unique jurisdictions that, you, you know, you, you maybe you wouldn't expect, right? The Philippines is a, is a large, Indonesia is a large user. Um, I think we're starting to see, uh, you know, Argentina and Venezuela, you know, two countries, very distressed economies starting to, to become more power users. So it is very hard to, to your point. I think it's, it's one of the, um, it's one of the reasons why we recently raised a $10 million series a round was to focus on rolling out and building out our community ambassador program. So what we would love, and we're working in this direction is to have, you know, dependent on each language around the world, we, we want a community ambassador who's involved in translating and support and helping us with marketing and, uh, facilitating introductions to the right um, event organizers and, and making sure that we have a presence in those countries. So lo- I'll tell local you right evangelists, now what's happening. basically. Yes, you, you nailed lo- it. Local guy conversations, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Guy, if you're listening, would love, would love to chat. Um, so, you know, I think the uh, what's happening right now, if you're, if you were a fly on the wall in our office, you'd, you'd, Imagine, you'd imagine this following scenario is we get a support question in a language that we don't, nobody on the team understands. And somebody said, Hey, anybody you know, speak Japanese? Speak, because I uh, saw that you're looking for a community manager who speaks native Japanese, you know, you want a native Japanese speaker. So uh, clearly you have yeah, a, a market yeah. in Japan. Uh, how big is, I, I want to yeah. ask a very serious question. How big is liquidity a problem and how do you uh, sort of handle that part? Yeah, liquidity is definitely a problem. Like like most marketplaces, you have to sort out the supply and the demand and find the sweet spot. You know, how do you stock the shelves before the customers come in? That and so if you look at how we've grown to date, you know, when, when we launched, we had a few trades on you know our, our first week, and and we, we were so excited. And uh, we've grown monthly our volume. I think it's I think the average is um, as of you know let's see I'll make sure I get the day. September fourth. I think where it's like three hundred and twenty five percent. 
average month over month growth, um, you know, in terms of volume. And that's really been not on the back of retail traders, but on the backs of, of automated traders recently. And so it's hard, right? It's really hard. So if, if you're an automated trader on a traditional stock exchange or maybe a centralized crypto exchange, I have to, you know, I meet with you, I educate on where radar fits in, talk about our, our vision, our values, how you get started. Then you have to go and learn how to handle Ethereum-based trading, you know, manage your own Ethereum node. Then you have to write a bot for decentralized exchanges to arbitrage, to relayer. So it's a long sales funnel. It's a long process. Do you open really your difficult. own uh, prop trading book or something like that? We do not. Um, and, you know, at the risk of, of uh, I'll just, I'll be diplomatic here. And I think, I think that um, there are many venues that are doing that. And I'm not sure um, they're doing it with the highest level of regulatory accountability. Or transparency. And I think it's a very, yeah. And I think it's a very naive so, short-term strategy. Because and, you can't see the transaction, can you see the value of the transaction? I mean, you may, you, you, let's say Faisal and Alex decide to trade. Do you know how many ethers we will be trading or how many tokens we will be exchanging or no? Yes, sir. So, so many of the decentralized exchanges and all of the relayers, because we're, we're using the Ethereum blockchain as a settlement layer, that is all visible. So I can, go, I can go right now and I can go back to day one of Radar Relay launching and I can see the address, mm-hmm. you know, who traded with whom. I don't know who they are, but I can see the two addresses. I can see how much tokens were sold and, and at what rate and all of that. It is all accessible. And that's the beauty of, of this technology. And that's the beauty of, of an open settlement layer is that you, you, can, you can't hide you can't hide uh, illicit trading and you can't hide this wash trading or you can't hide a lot of this um, uh, trading that's happening at maybe some of the other exchanges where it's so opaque right now they can get away so with do you it. have do so you have I members who excited. come and provide liquidity on your platform yes yeah we do so we have there's a and 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 not surprisingly I don't know who many of them are right they're from all over the world so, some I do right some of you know, reached out with support questions or reached out and were curious, you know, how they might have a deeper relationship with us. And I've gotten to know them. Some have even visited our office. Um, there's one in particular who's, uh, you know, I, I don't think we would have gotten to where we are today without him, but uh, we do have that. And, and that looks like very similar to a, um, you know, a, a, a power user on any marketplace where they're stocking the shelves with a whole bunch of inventory, a whole bunch of supply and, and the takers and, and, you know, the demand is, shows up and finally they have something to, to buy. And so if you imagine we have 175 tokens and we have two denominating or we have two quote pair, right? So we have all of those tokens to ETH and we have all of those tokens to a stable coin called DAI. And so we have a lot of markets. We have a lot of shelves to mm. stock. And uh, do you have, uh, I mean, how, how do people... Are people just buying Ethereum or are people who are coming to you already have Ethereum or are majority of your users also give you the ramp up and ramp off into the fiat world? Yeah. So the fiat role is currently being handled by those centralized exchanges that we talked about. And I think in the future, they will continue to be those brokers. They're really good at banking regulations and managing their licenses and being money transmitters. And I don't want to compete with them, nor is that my company's core competency. So we're really focused on building on the 
the backs of or piggybacking of on Coinbase and Gemini and, and Poloniex and, and without them, yeah, our users would show up and they wouldn't have Ethereum and they wouldn't be able to use us. And so when that happens, and it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, we send them, we refer them to one of those other brokerages to, to access, you know, to move their fiat into crypto, so then they can come back and they can be a radar user. Your platform, is it open for other developers to start working on today? Yes, sir. So developers.radarrelay.com, you can go and, and download an example trading bot. Uh, you can access our uh, price feeds and, and we even have an SDK that's you know, available to, to get spun up even faster. And what are some of the applications you're looking at uh, or are you looking at developers to develop on your platform? Yeah, so it's really around taking the manual trading and automating it is, is, is the number one thing that we're focused on in the short term. So you know, if, if you are one of those power users that wants to come and add liquidity, or maybe you're a prop desk trader um, that wants a fun nights and weekends project, you, you hit developers.radarelay.com, get started today and, and build a simple arbitrage bot that, you know, that moves maybe from you know, Binance to, to Radar and, uh, or, or from Radar to one of these other decentralized exchanges. And, and the feeling that users get, the feeling that developers get, that aha moment when they make a trade and they never have to deposit somewhere and it just stays in their ledger under their pillow at night. Um, I love watching that. I, sometimes I, I invite those people into the office to like actually execute the trade and seeing their eyes sort of light up. It's, um, it's, it's so, so thrilling. And it starts with our developers and, page. Uh, and what does that have? Does that have a, a totally bespoke scripting language or are you using something very common in, within the developers uh, world realm as far as programming is concerned? Yeah, it's it's um, our our data is a, a really simple REST API, um, and our um, SDK is right. You can write it. I think you can build a DApp on there in, in less than five hundred lines of code. Uh, everything runs in Node, uh, and over time, we're going to make it more sophisticated. You know, build out Python things like that. So uh, more of our users from different walks of life, coming from finance or um, you know, research can can get spun up without having to know some of those languages. Do you see the death of centralized exchanges going forward, or maybe death maybe too strong a word, decline? Um, I see consolidation. So, you know, for example, you know, there's there's quite a few exchanges, smaller exchanges that are being bought up across Asia very quietly and very much under the radar by some of the larger exchanges, and you're starting to see large exchanges like Binance try to figure out how to get fiat on ramps. And, and the reason why they're doing that goes back to this point I've made now a few times that centralized exchanges will always have a place for on-ramp and off-ramp, right? We need those brokerages. The question in my mind is, will Fidelity or will some of these other large financial institutions who have core competencies as uh, you know, fiat brokerages, will they lean in and eat some of that market share? Will they buy Coinbase? I'm not sure. But I do think that there is going to be a place for on-ramp and off-ramp that's very different than this wild and crazy Web3 frontier where Radar Relay is deeply relevant and where our other products, when we launch them, will continue to be relevant. We, we won't ever go and, and touch the, the fiat. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. So if, depending on your level of... Um, your level of a need, right? You can sort of passively subscribe on, to our, our monthly email, uh, follow us on Twitter, or if you have support questions and you want immediate responses, hop into our Telegram. 
or send us an email at outreach at radarrelay.com. And you are actively hiring, right? Yes, sir. So with the successful completion of, of the $10 million Series A round uh, last month, oh man, two months ago, time flies. Um, we are, it's, it's heads, you know, heads down on the engineering side, looking to, to hire uh, just a few roles in the engineering, but a lot of roles in the community management, marketing, design, operations, um, you know, senior accounting role. So all and hands on like deck. The hills of Denver, Colorado, that's where they're based, you know. Uh, <laughs> Alan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, all the best in the future. I see you have some great names and investors, and I'm sure you will do a stellar job. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited. Hopefully I'll be back one day definitely, and we can talk about the definitely. progress. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.